my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Maybe see. Tonight's message is going to be a little different for me because tonight's message actually goes back to a request that was given to me almost 40 years ago. A congregation reached out to me. They were studying the various parts of our worship service, the singing, the prayers, the teaching, the giving, and yes, the Lord's Supper. And they wanted to have a deeper understanding of the Lord's Supper, a deeper appreciation for what it meant. So they asked me, they said, we would like to have a Passover-styled meal at our building on a Saturday night. Since the communion was instituted during the Passover meal, we would like to understand what the Passover meal was all about. Billy, foolishly, I said yes to their request. This was way before the days of the internet where you could just Google something. I had to uh, do some study. Because the Old Testament gives us the basic framework of the Passover meal, but it does not give us a lot of the inner details of how it was conducted. So I had to do some research, some research into some Jewish sources. So tonight's lesson is really what I found about 40 years ago. Because I want to talk tonight about what the communion means to me. And the communion is a very special time for me. Now, I will be the first to make this disclaimer the sequencing, the cups, the various bread that's used in the Passover meal, I may be wrong. This is just based on my best research. So if I am wrong, please forgive me. The original communion service that we have today was actually a part of the annual Jewish Passover feast where the Jews remembered their bondage in Egypt and how God had rescued them. It was a time of real stress for the disciples of Jesus because some immensely powerful people headed up by the high priest himself in Jerusalem had threatened to kill Jesus. You'll see their stress, especially in the way the disciples had to prepare for the meal. Verse 12. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare? Circle that word prepare. And prepare that you may eat the Passover. And he sent out two of his disciples. The book of Luke tells us the two was Peter and John. So he sends out Peter and John. And he said to them, Go into the city, that would be Jerusalem, 
and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Now this is odd. Because men in their society did not carry pitchers of water. Ladies, I have to, hate to say this to you, but that was woman's work. A man would never do that, very rarely. But you find this man carrying a pitcher of water, you follow him. Now, it seems like they would stay quiet until wherever he goes in, say to the master... The teacher, the teacher, kind of a code word here, it seems like. The teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. You know, they'd already had made arrangements somehow. Furnished and prepared, there make ready for us. Usually, preparations for the Passover involve sweeping the house of all leaven. You, you swept it clean of all leaven. It involved roasting the lamb, removing the leaven bread that might be in the house, preparing bitter herbs, and making a sauce out of dried fruit, vinegar, and spices. Now, as I said, that's the usual preparations to get ready for the Passover meal. But this was a little bit different. We've got two disciples going in to make preparations. We got that man carrying that water jar. They follow him to that house. They're to speak only to the owner of the house. And they identify Jesus as simply the teacher. Should someone overhear their conversation? It seems to be prearranged. Perhaps secret signals uh, so the disciples could prepare and eat the meal without being discovered. Lest they be captured and killed. Verse 16. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. Are you surprised? I'm not. And they prepared, there's that word again, prepared the Passover. This was not an easy time for the disciples. It was not an easy time for the Lord either. But they prepared the Passover exactly as Jesus told them. And that's what we need to do when we observe the communion. As we get ready on each Sunday to have the communion, we need to prepare ourselves. We need, we need to prepare for fellowship and communion with our Lord. We need to get our hearts ready for this very special memorial. We need to put out our own thoughts in order that we can truly enjoy the meal with Him. Because Jesus is here with us. Set aside, we set aside the, the cares of this world. For me personally, the strongest 
and most memorial memories I have of observing the communion go back to my 11 trips to Romania. We did not want the Romanians to be Americanized. We wanted the gospel truth, the church, to be set in their culture. So, for example, uh, in Romania, as uh, I know Charlie knows this, you don't shake hands. What do you do? You kiss on the cheek. That's how they greet each other. They kiss on the cheek. They don't shake hands. Since most of the Christians there in Bucharest don't have a car, in fact, uh, uh, last I, I knew, only four families had a car. Most people walk. Since most people walk, they don't have two services on Sunday. They have one very, very, very long service on Sunday morning. The worship service, uh, a minimum, would be two and a half hours. I've been there when it's been a lot longer. And during that worship service, I would say on average, they, they take about 45 minutes to observe the communion. They sing every song that is in the book, just about, that deals with the communion. Uh, they have different men get up and read every passage, uh, just about, in the Bible about communion. They'll have different men get up and share their thoughts about communion. And what happens is you are really zeroed in on what the communion is all about. And then they take the communion. You see, we need to put our thoughts about the world out of our minds. We need to focus on what that communion truly means. The death of our Lord the sacrificial love of our Savior, and the great plan that God had for all of us. Just like they did in sweeping out the leaven from their homes, we need to sweep out the bitterness and the sin and, and get the table of our hearts ready for Jesus to come. As we get ready to partake of the Lord's table each Sunday, we need to prepare ourselves because Jesus warned us that difficult times are ahead. Difficult days will come. And we need, we need the communion to remind us of that great love that our Savior has for us. And that great message of the cross. Because life will be bitter at times. Verse 17. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now notice, Judas is still in the group. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. One of you will betray me. The Passover meal started with the host. The host for this meal would be Jesus. He would pronounce a blessing. And all the guests, they would be drinking the first cup. The first cup of the Passover meal. And then after this, after this, a, a special Passover plate was set on the table with unleavened matzo bread, bitter herbs, some greens, a fruit sauce, 
and the roasted lamb. The youngest there, and we would think that we would think that would probably be John, the youngest would then ask, Why is this night different from all other nights? And the host would respond by recalling the biblical account of their redemption from Egypt, after which they all would drink the second cup. So we've had two cups already. Then the host would take a a square of that uh, matzo bread, and he would pronounce another blessing. He would break it into pieces. He would hand it to those who were at the table with him. And they all ate it with the horseradish and the fruit sauce. It's at this point in the meal, it seems, that Jesus dropped his bombshell. One of you who eats with me will betray me, he says in verse 18. That is, one of you is going to hand me over to the authorities with treachery in your heart. You know, it's bad enough. It's bad enough that their enemies want Jesus dead, but now the disciples find out that one of them will actually turn him over to their enemies. So what's their response? Verse 19, And they began to be sorrowful. And they said to him one by one, Is it I? Is it I? Am I the one? And another said, Is it I? This is some bitter times, some hard times. Not too long before this, they were what? They were arguing over who was the greatest. Now they're wondering who the worst among them is. Verse 20. He answered and said to them, It is the one of the twelve who dips with me, who dips with me in the dish. At this point in the meal, they're dipping their pieces of bread in the horseradish sauce, recalling their bitter days of of slavery in Egypt. Uh, uh, Then they dip into the fruit sauce, which represents uh, the bricks and mortars that they made as slaves in Egypt. Now Jesus tells them another bitter truth. One of their own will betray him on top of that, It would be the one who had a seat of honor at the table. You see, it had to be the one close to him. The one who was sitting next to Jesus, dipping his bread in the bowl. They shared. This was a height of treachery. Because in in, in that culture, eating with someone was a pledge of loyalty. And protection. Now, this was very bitter news to be sure, and quite a shock to Jesus' disciples. But it was not a surprise to God. Oh no. Verse 21 The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. All of this had been prophesied, had been predicted. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. The prophets wrote about this a long time ago 
Jesus assures them. In other words, this is what God had planned all along, but that doesn't leave the betrayer off the hook. He is still responsible for his own actions. You see, God's sovereignty never negates human responsibility. None of us can ever blame God for our wrong choices. But God includes even our wrong choices as part of His bigger plan. God is not surprised by the evil choices that people make. He just uses them to accomplish His good and perfect will. In other words, all seems dark. But God, God has a plan. God has a plan. Life, life had taken a, a bitter turn for Jesus' disciples. And life can do that to us today as well. Things don't always go as we plan. But we're never, ever outside of God's plan. Several years ago, down in the country of Paraguay, a man rose up in opposition to the atrocities that were being committed by the military regime. The military regime knew they, they could not uh, really touch this man. He was so popular among the common people. Uh, if they do anything to him, they would have a major revolt on their hand. So what did they do? They arrested his son, his only son, they tortured him for days upon days. And finally, the son died in prison. The friends of this father, of this leader, they, they wanted to take the boy's death, the boy's funeral, and turn it into a huge protest march. But the father chose a different means of protest. At the funeral, the father displayed his son's body exactly as he had found it in prison. Naked, scarred from all the electric shock treatments that they had used on him, all the cigarette burns on his body, and all the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of whippings that he had had to endure. As the villagers filed past the corpse, the father had the body of his son laid on, not in a coffin, but on the blood-soaked mattress from the prison. It was the strongest protest you could imagine, for it put injustice on display. Isn't that what God did at Calvary? The cross that held Jesus' body, naked and marked with scars, exposed all the, the violence and the injustice of this world. The cross revealed what kind of world we have and what kind of God we have. We have a world of gross unfairness. And we have a God of sacrificial love. You see, God's plan was to put His Son on display. 
And by that display, by that display, to gain the victory over all evil and treachery in this world. Colossians 2, verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made what a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's the victory of the cross set against the backdrop of bitter betrayer, betrayal and treachery. Backdrop. Jewelers understand the advantage of a backdrop. If you go in to purchase a, a fine diamond, if you're buying a loose diamond, they will take that diamond, they will put it on a black velvet stand. Why do they do that? Because they know that background will highlight the brilliance of that diamond and will make that diamond shine even more and more. Well, the Lord's Supper is like that diamond. Sometimes it needs to be pried from traditional settings and thrown against the black velvet of the blackest night in history the night that Jesus was betrayed. Life is bitter sometimes, that's true, but despite that bitterness, we can be grateful. We can give thanks. We can give thanks. We can praise the Lord because Christ has died for us, making a way for God to keep all His promises to us. You see, instead of complaining about His bitter betrayal, Jesus gave thanks. He praised God. At this point in the Passover meal, after the ceremony of dipping the, the bread, the matzo bread in the horseradish sauce and the fruit sauce, the feasting itself began. Lots of food was brought to the table, and the host, being Jesus, would lift up the platter of unloving bread, reciting yet another blessing. Praise be thou, O Lord, sovereign of the Lord, who called bread to come forth from the earth. Then the host would, he would break off a piece for each person, which was passed from hand to hand until it reached everyone at the table. The distribution normally in a normal, typical Passover meal would take place in silence. But Jesus broke the silence, giving this broken bread, this broken bread, new meaning for His followers. Verse 22, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. The broken bread. That broken bread represented Christ's broken body for us on the cross. He was broken in our place, taking the punishment for our sins. So God could bless us instead of condemning us. That, that was part of God's plan. To bring eternal life to anyone who trusts and obeys His Son. That's why Jesus can give thanks for His broken body and for His shed blood 
as well. Verse 23. Then he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. In the Passover meal, in the Passover meal, back up a little bit. In the Passover meal, they drunk four cups that evening, recalling the four-part promise that God gave them in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, while they were still in Egypt. Cup number one represented, I will bring you out. That's the promise. Cup number two, which they already had taken, represented, I will rid you of their bondage. That promise. This is cup number three. This represents, I will redeem you. I will redeem you. There's a fourth cup. The fourth cup means I will take you for my people and I will be your God. It's this third cup that they drank during the Passover feast, which concluded the main part of the meal. It gives us new meaning. New meaning to promises. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. In all, they drunk those four cups that evening, recalling those four-part promises that God gave them in Exodus chapter 6. I will redeem you, the third cup. It was that third cup, the cup of redemption, to which Jesus gives that new meaning. It's the cup that we observe today, every Sunday. These were not empty promises without any substance, no. God guaranteed these promises, how? Through the shedding of blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, but the shedding of His own Son's blood on the cross. Even though life had taken a bitter turn for Jesus and His disciples, God had a plan. God had a plan to bring about our redemption, that third cup, and to bring about the consummation of it all in His kingdom. Look at what He tells His disciples next. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That's why we can give thanks, even in the context of a bitter betrayal by one of his closest friends. He knows it's all part of God's plan to bring about our redemption and a glorious future for all who trust and obey His Son. Verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I want you to think about that. Imagine our Lord singing when the cross was only a few hours away. Jesus gave thanks in bitter times, in hard times. And so can we. We can be grateful no matter what happens because God is still working His plan always. Jesus' death gave us life, real life, true life. 
And nothing can stop what God is doing to bring us fully and completely to Him. So rejoice. Rejoice. Give thanks even when life is bitter because Jesus died for you. He died for me. Jesus gave His all to make a loving community through the gift of a meal to remember His sacrifice. So let's enjoy it as we come to the Lord's table together each and every Sunday. And beyond that, above all, let's remember to give thanks, even as Jesus did when He first gave us this wonderful memorial meal. And friends, that's what the communion means to me. It's not just something we do for about ten minutes, on Sundays, so we can check off the box. It's a special time for each Christian to remember the greatest gift given to mankind, the gift of Jesus on that cross. Tonight, are you a Christian? Do you believe? Will you repent? Will you confess? Will you be baptized? As a Christian, you need to ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. The church here loves you, and the church stands ready to pray with you and for you. If there's anything we can do for you this evening, please come forward as we stand and sing for your encouragement. Yes,